Welcome back to the Be A Hab podcast by Train Red. My name is Kim Terstegen. I'm part of the Train Red team and I'm host of this podcast. I'm a sports enthusiast. I started my fitness journey after losing a lot of weight and I got very interested in fitness and health. I'm also a content creator. You can find me at Kim Terstegen across all platforms and I also have my very own podcast. I'm here with my co-host Jeroen. Hi, my name is uh, Jeroen Molinger. I'm lead clinical exercise physiologist at Duke at the Human Pharmacology and Physiology Lab, research program director of the lab, and also research program director of Duke Heart Transmetrology in the cath lab. My main focus in the research we do here at Duke is all related to assessing muscle physiology and cardiorespiratory function. All right, so last episode we talked about NIRS and gave a little bit of an introduction into what it is exactly. So if you guys didn't listen to that, I would suggest listening to the last episode and then coming back to this one. Today we're going to talk about how to actually use a NIRS sensor during sports and how to apply it to your training and adjust accordingly. So Jeroen, last time we talked about NIRS and what it is exactly. Uh, to give a little summary with a NIRS sensor like the fire from Train Red, you can measure the um, oxygen levels within your muscles which of course is very interesting because you can apply it to your sports and see what's actually going on within your body we also talked about you can measure the difference between left and right and then also just different muscles at the same time um, but i'm also wondering like in the uh, fitness world it's like very common for some people to be for instance squat dominant or glute dominant like even if they squat or just do a, uh, another exercise, some people just grow more muscle on the on the quads and others on the glutes. Is this also a way to see with nears, like if you're more quad dominant or more glute dominant, and is there a way to measure that? Absolutely. Okay, there are two ways of measuring it. Um, the, the, the direct way of measuring if a glute or a uh, uh, quad is more dominant is just with, with, we call it EMG. So you're measuring the amount of uh, recruitment. So how fast a muscle can contract on that specific, when you do a specific exercise. Uh, but it's interesting that you can even do the same way in looking at how much is the specific muscle is using. So, um, and when you you will you will see when you're using the nearest device, and I think the, the 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 biggest we call it the paradigm shift when you see that everyone thinks when you do a a exercise uh, um, like the deadlift and all that that specific deadlift is a exercise that is mainly being used or being done without oxygen, and that's not true at all because. Of course, you do not breathe that well or heavy like you do in a run, but you're looking at the muscle itself and you can see how fast it really goes down in the uh, amount of oxygen. Yeah, because you're using a lot of muscle power, so it should like differentiate very much in the, in the exercise. I'm just thinking about this. I don't know if this is true, but for instance, if you're doing a deadlift, there is an endless discussion if conventional or sumo deadlifts are better and is there a way to see how your muscles respond to what form better so for instance you do a de conventional deadlift with the sensor see how your muscles respond and do a sumo after and then just compare is that also a possibility no, absolutely i think what will be interesting if you do the different kind of methods and to see um what the graph looks like so it, it, it is a dynamic graph, right? So you can put different sensors on your quads and on your glutes and to see on the left, right, even also to see uh, which is the fastest in different methods, which is, is for instance, if you're more glute dominant, you will see that the first signal of change of using oxygen, that the graph will go down is for instance for the glute. And then you can even change if you want to have a change in your technique. You can see what do I need to change to have 
that specific dynamics being turned around, that I'm more, more quasi dominant. And that's kind of the thing, but not, now you have a visualization feedback, well, you normally would not have, you just try to do some different methods like... You just try to do yeah. it and see what worked better for you, but you can actually maybe like put it into visual to, uh, to see if you use the sensors. Um, I'm mainly talking about fitness now because that's my personal preference, but obviously this also is for cycling, running, like any sports. So do you have anything to say about how you can use uh, a nearest device for different types of sports? Right. I think for the, the whole resistance uh, pieces, I think a, a very specific different piece than uh, the whole cardiovascular uh, endurance, endurance sports, um, where you have more prolonged uh, time of assessing. Um, uh, and of course, you have very defined muscle groups that you're using. Uh, and mainly if you're comparing, for instance, bike with, with running, it's mainly where the, the, the primary movement, primary drivers of your, of your uh, uh, of movement are, are, the, are the legs. So your, your quads, your hamstrings, potentially your glutes and your, uh, your calves. I think when you're looking from an endurance perspective, it is interesting that you can see some specific zones from a muscle perspective. So can we, if you want to train, and everybody knows it's zone one, two, three, and four. And um, so how do you define zone two, not from your overall perspective, like um, if you do it, if you did an FTP test, but more from a uh, test where you can show, does this muscle respond the same way like I did with a test. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're I'm talking, sure. yeah, backtracking a little, talking about the zones, you're talking about if, like, for instance, a pace is sustainable, it's not sustainable, like how your muscle is responding, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm not sure, but maybe we have to talk about a little bit further on in our in our um, uh, episodes about, for instance, an, an, an exercise test which you can do, and I think what what almost everyone does with who using Swift or Peloton. Uh, like the FTP test. So how can you drive? Yeah. yeah, I think we can go into like specific sports and then see how you can actually use the nears and what you can do. Yeah, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so moving on to nears and how you can use that to measure your performance, but also how nears plays a role in recovery. There are different, different approaches. Um, when we're looking at just from a um, perspective of movement, I would over exercise or whatever you want to do is I think it is essential to create your own baseline. So the number that you see from a nearest device is, is not an absolute value. Like if you would do a um, broad drawn measurement like cholesterol, where we know for sure this is the number and this is the reference number. And if you are in the high or in the low, then we know you are in the good or in the, uh, in the bad, in the bad space. Uh, but this is kind of different because there is a um, not a well-defined reference value where a quad or a glute should be in it's more looking at the dynamics so how fast can you go down and how fast can you go up so is this more because it's not researched a lot or is it just very personal to each person the thing is it is personal that that for sure but also is your to make sure that you are measuring in a very small space inside that muscle because we're putting a small piece of light in a big muscle and we're only looking at that specific part of the muscle. And normally the depth of a nearest would be around 1.5 centimeter tops. Uh, so you're only looking at the top side of the muscle, not even potentially in the whole, uh, in the whole middle. And the heterogeneity of how a muscle is being distributed in usage of oxygen is not homogeneous. So when you 
putting it this way or doing it more in, in the high side or lower side that would definitely give you different numbers so also on on on, on that on that approach make sure you're really defining the place you put your sensors in as always the same you cannot change sensors on the uh, for instance from a from a leg uh more on the no for instance a, a quad is very well, big and like it, you have to define like a spot where you're going to use it every single time exactly yeah no, that's the most important and then create the graphs where you do um yeah some dynamics okay for resistance exercises is an is a different way of using the muscle because if you do a for example you do a you want want to really drive your one rem so you do your one rem test and when you have a very high recruitment of muscle and the muscle is really really contract when the muscle is on the utmost of the of their contraction so you're putting a lot of force out and that specific moment in the muscle itself because there is no flow there is no real blood flow inside the muscle because there is is so tight that definitely will see a signal in the nearest that you're really utilizing oxygen because there is no flow at all. When you relax again, then you can see a, a very fast upslope because there is a lot of blood coming in with all the duction, all the trucks reduction coming in and using it. And that is a specific way of, of training where you can, can see in a way of if I do this specific 1REM, 8 reps, yeah, with, with the 60 reps, with 60% of my REM, do I show the same graphs going up and down, going up and down. And what you would potentially would see is that um, if a muscle will change from a physiological perspective, that the way you go up again after a maximum contraction, that will improve. And that is, that is a good metric of showing that the energy uh, factories inside your muscle are adapted, are super compensated and are more easier to utilize oxygen in a very fast way, but also being able to recover very fast and you're then ready for the, the next next rep to do. And that's always the cut. It's not about just doing the reps, it's also in making sure you're recovering that small period of time to do the next rep and the next rep. Yeah, so you're basically saying that the, the graph of the recovery is almost more important than actually like how much your muscle is contracting. Exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. can see how optimized or how well trained your muscle is by seeing how much oxygen flows in again after an exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Even even after even after a rep. So if you do eight reps, you can even show that when you have the eight reps to go up and down, up and down is how easy is that going up again, going up again, and going up again. And you will see that if you really go for the full effort, so that 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 eight eight rep on that 70% of our yam is your, you couldn't do any nine. There, the eight is the eight. That there's, they must definitely see that there's a, uh, uh, you have a, because of the fatiguing of the muscle, you will see a change of those recovery cycles. So is there also a way to see how close you are to failure actually? Because your muscle is not able to recover as fast anymore. Is, or is that like too complex? No, I think, no, no, I think you can do that. But when you need to do that with with your RM test. So if you really put RM, then you have to know what is my, how does the graph looks like when it will run REM? And that's your that's your that's your your lowest point you can go. That's your 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 lowest point you can go. Uh, so it's a, it's a different way of approaching resistance exercises where we normally would not have any metric to to use apart from power potentially when you have a sensor that can measure in your your speed and your resistance, but with 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 a um, uh, few weights and all or whatever that that is that is tough to do. And now you have a way of really looking at how does the muscle response on the local level. 
And that's 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 uh, that's an interesting approach. Yeah. So for fitness, a baseline will be the one rep max test for di different exercises, and you can use that to improve your training or to see, like, for instance, if you train close enough to failure, if you can improve. But also, what we talked about the glute and the quad dominance, like you can measure that and also difference between muscles left and right. Um, what would be a good baseline for like running or cycling or? Right. Endurance. I think the, the cycling, I think the, the test mostly done right now, again, going back to pelotons and the Swift and all, is, uh, is the FTP test. And the thing is, when you look, when you're doing an FTP test, so you have your critical power being um, being assessed, is that when you then also using that specific sensor, then you know how really low you can go and and what the normal values would be based on those specific numbers of power that you that you can uh, that can put out. Uh, but it's it is all I think it is even even from a exercise or endurance perspective, it's always you have to have a lot of experience uh, just using the device. So get yourself familiar with your body itself so how does your quad or your and then you have your quad on the on the top side your rectus femoris or more on the uh, on the lateral side of uh, your vl satralis or your calf uh, have some knowledge about when you're putting all those devices into an exercise test then you have a, a a potential slope and you see how low you can go and then you do your normal testing or you no exercising i mean and to see how does that somehow compare with what i would do so it's a zone two um, endurance three, four hours kind of a training. How does that show in my in my uh, values what I see with my nearest device uh, from the muscle? Or if I do a zone two training on the bike, um, but I want to do some hits in between. So I want to do some, some spin intervals from some ex extensive interval training. Uh, what is needed? How low do I need to go to make sure that I'm in full effort? And if I do four or five sprints, does it show that the muscle is really fatiguing because I'm I'm changing my recovery is getting worse after each sprint because I'm 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 just having too little of a recovery and there is again the need for a sprint and that itself is showing the potential of the signal and how the muscle will respond and if you do that multiple times you have a far more i think insight in yourself you say oh wow i normally would go with the fifth i will go just a number uh i start off with uh, uh 75 and i'm now at the lowest point maybe at 30. uh, uh and now i now i'm not 30 i'm not 40. so i can maybe give more power so you can see with the same power, you, you will not go that low. And now you can put on more power with the same way of going all the way down. So you see that the muscle is being um, compensated for, is able to put up more power with the same usage of oxygen. So it becomes more efficient. And that's all what, what it literally is. I think it's not about um, having the biggest and the highest power outputs in a V2. It's all about how efficient are you and how fast can you recover to be ready for the next one. Okay, so just to have a better understanding, I think Nier's devices like the one from Train Red are mostly interesting for people that are already sports enthusiasts, that are already um, training for a little while and know a little bit about their body, also about the way of training. And then a Nier's device will just give you some more insights on what's really going on inside your muscles. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's if... if the test I mentioned at like the FTP and the REM is those 
folks that are doing that are aware of the reason why they do that test, right? They want to know um, the specific maximum values for, for resistance uh, or for power outputs. And if you just combine those two with those new metrics of NEARS, um, of course, it will be, uh, you need to have a, there's a learning curve here, but I think it can be pretty steep. It's an interesting non-invasive way of just assessing. And if you're getting your, to know yourself, when you know the training, you know well how you would respond and how that numbers then show on the muscle level, uh, I think you'll be far more informed in in how the muscle will respond and and potentially also in uh, in competition. We know that thresholds are are an important way of looking at specific zones. So if you can even do a when you are decompensating on the le- on the muscle level, doing a uh, doing a um, a triathlon or a marathon or half marathon, you can have a better better understanding about your how fast you can go. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us across all social medias at train.red. We hope to see you here next time and don't forget to follow this podcast so you don't miss out any of the next episodes. If you are interested in muscle oxygen sensors, the train red fire, go to our website, train.red. The link is also in the description.